radar. Uh, the first is that uh, we are uh, currently looking for more volunteers to help us out with uh, Sunday school for the kids. Uh, so if that is something that you'd be interested in and could help out with, uh, please let either uh, Ron or Stevens know or myself before uh, September 17th, which is about two Sundays from now. Uh, secondly, speaking of deadlines, uh, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, for, uh, uh, for uh, the men here in the church, uh, there is uh, a time uh, for some doing something, uh, something manly, and that is uh, doing some axe throwing and having wings. Uh, that'll be either September 29th or September 30th, which is a Friday or Saturday. Um, and I would be great to know if you are interested um, to let me know by September 17th as well, just to have like a good, accurate number. Uh, you're welcome to do both of those events, or if you want to only do axe throwing, or if you can't do that and want to come for wings, uh, that's also an option as well. And I will get you more details as we get closer to that date. Um, and then lastly, September 24th, uh, we are having a congregational meeting, a meeting fo immediately following the service. Uh, this is just to review the finances for you and uh, accomplish a couple other things as well. Uh, and we'll be sending out the necessary documents uh, before that for your review as well. So just make sure that you just have that on your minds. September 24th, congregational meeting immediately following the service. So... Uh, this is the, the day that the Lord has made, and the Lord has also made us in his glorious image. And we look to the scriptures to help us to understand what does it mean to reflect the glory of God? What does it mean to live for the honor of God? And one of the chief ways that we do that is by our coming together uh, to worship him, to declare who God is, to declare what God has done, to worship him through song, to declare these things through the preached word and receiving that word and we, we give glory and honor to him as we, even as we come to him in humility, making our requests known to him. So let us go before the Lord this morning and let us worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Church, let's stand. <clears throat> um, I'm flying so old today, so I would love to hear your voices in joining me in worship this morning. Um, and let me read something out of <clears throat> Psalms. encourage us in God's word. It says, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise and say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Amen. Let's worship this morning. Let the glory of the Lord forever be our joy. May redemption be the theme of our song. For by grace we have been saved, and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ is come.
ages gone before through the trial and the sword many saints and martyrs conquered though they died still we holding out the cross crossing ocean suffering lost shall endure all things to win the crown of life. Sing. Let the nations be glad. Let the people rejoice for salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of the Lord for salvation
our King. Father, we sing praises because you are worthy of our praise. Lord, as we, as we look to your glory, as we try to magnify your name. You are far beyond what we could explain or even, even come close to explaining, Lord, your glory. We try our best with different attributes that you've given us, Lord, through Scripture. But even that falls short of how grand you are. God, we worship you. We worship you this morning. Your creation worships you this morning, God. You've given us the breath of life this morning. New mercies this morning. And so you are worthy, God, of our praise as we sing songs that lift your name. As we sing songs, Lord, that show your faithfulness. Humble our hearts, God. Continue, Lord, to bring the the. the the awesome fear of the Lord in our hearts, God, as we understand more and more of you. Lead us now, Lord, in prayer and in your word. May you do that, Father. 
lead us, God, this morning in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time we'll be uh, dismissing our children to their classrooms. I'm going to read for us from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. Then we'll spend some time in prayer. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Excuse me, the end of the world. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let us pray. Father, your word tells us that, that there is this speech going forth from creation, that your creation heralds, it proclaims, it preaches the magnificent glory of God. And the sky above proclaims your handiwork. Your word tells us that all of creation tells us something about the invisible God. That each and every day there is a speech that is continuing to be poured forth into the world that is ultimately pointing and intended to point back to the heavenly divine creator. And Father, we, we come to you this morning joining with all of creation of singing of who you are and proclaiming more than just who you are, but also proclaiming your magnificent work through Jesus Christ. And as your image bearers and as those who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, we come to you this morning also in confession of our sins. We ask, God, that you would graciously forgive us for the ways in which our lives don't reflect or herald your glorious person. That sometimes through our impatience, through our actions, through our speech, Lord, we betray the very words that your creation is speaking forth into the world. Lord, would you forgive us for the ways that we have failed in this past month, in this past week, perhaps even this very morning. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have failed to measure up. But Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit to help us. We thank you, Lord, that even when we fail to reflect your glorious image, especially as those who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, that even, if, even when we do fail, that your glorious redemption is not erased in us. Father, we pray and ask that you might help us by the power of your Holy Spirit 
to walk in the innocence and the righteousness and the blamelessness that you have purchased for us through Jesus Christ. Help us each day in whatever context to reflect the image of our divine creator and to reflect the glorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, we pray for the Dickinsons. God, we pray that you might continue to establish their steps, that you would give them direction and wisdom and guidance, and that you would generously provide for their every need. We pray that you would graciously answer the desires of their heart. We pray that you might continue to teach them and show them incredible and marvelous things through your divinely inspired word. Father, we pray for, the, for, the, for Ron and Nancy. God, we pray that you might continue to bless them and keep them. We pray that you might continue to keep their health, Lord. We pray that you might help them in this season to continue to pursue the Lord Jesus as they continue also to care for their grandsons. Lord, we pray for their son and their grandchildren. We pray that they might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ that they might know the heavenly creator, that they might know the heavenly savior who's come down from heaven to save sinners. Lord, would you help your son and daughter to faithfully reflect this work of redemption in Christ Jesus to their son and their grandson, that you might give them also the words as well to tell of them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those in our church who are in a season of trial, perhaps even in a season of suffering. Father, would you care for your people? Would you care for them as the one who has made them in your glorious image? Would you care for them also as your precious children that you have adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ? Assure them, Lord, of your incredible love. Assure them, Lord, of their eternal security in Christ Jesus. Assure them, Lord, of the reality that nothing can separate them from you. Even if their experiences or their emotions or their thoughts might tell them differently and might even yell to them that there is no God who cares for them and has forsaken them, Lord, Would you remind them of the precious promises that are written in your word that speak to the lies of the evil one and even speaks to the lies that we might even tell ourselves, Lord. Remind your precious people that you are the God who is near to the brokenhearted and near to those who are crushed in spirit. Father, we pray for our sister Ina. She continues to minister in the DR. Lord, continue to bless the work of her hands. Continue to provide for her every need in Christ Jesus. Lord, use the work that you have called her to to bring salvation to children, to parents, to those in the community that she serves. Would you help her, Lord, each day to be a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We pray that you would protect her and those who work with her. Lord, would you use her efforts 
and even the efforts, Lord, of many churches there and the efforts of many other missionaries who may be there in the DR, Lord, to bring about a great revival there in the Dominican Republic. And Father, we pray also for a great revival here in New England. Lord, we pray for a return to the faith of the Puritans. We pray, Lord, for a restoration of family worship in households. Father, we pray that your churches would continue to emanate a brilliant light in the midst of darkness. Give boldness for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for the salvation of the lost. Father, we pray for our country. Father, as as now as we now consider the many candidates who have presented themselves striving for the presidency, Lord, would you give your church, your people, wisdom, insight, knowledge, and understanding so that when the time comes, we might be able to make wise and prayerful decisions. Help us, Lord, to not take these things lightly. Father, help us to rest knowing that your King sits in the heavens But your word also tells us, Lord, that you give unto nations those in authority to execute your judgment, to be those who reward the good and strike fear into the evildoers. Lord, we pray for that kind of individual to lead our country. We pray that you might control these elections, that you would control every debate that you would control the hearts and minds of many. Would you establish the kind of person that would rule, Lord, in a way that is consistent with your scriptures, that is consistent with what it tells us in Romans and what we should and ought to expect of someone who is given such great authority. Father, we lastly pray for those in education, for those who are being equipped with knowledge and understanding, for those who are in some kind of training, for those who are in a season of equipping, who, for those who are in a season of gathering knowledge for a particular purpose, Lord. You created the mind to comprehend, to receive knowledge, to recall information. Lord, would you bless your precious people, bless the work of their mind so they might understand and acquire more knowledge, and apply that knowledge, and recall the information. Bless the work of their minds, that they might use their minds for your great glory. Father, we trust you for all of these things. Lord, what a joy it is to know that our prayers are heard by our gracious Father who is in heaven. We rejoice that there is a God in heaven. 
who can be known and has made himself known through his word and through his son and has adopted a people to himself so that we can lift up our prayers and that you would command us to seek, to ask, to pray, to knock, and even to repeat our prayers again and again until there is an answer from heaven. So we lift up our prayers to you, knowing that you are a gracious Father who hears the prayers of his children. So we pray these things in faith. And we also pray them in the name of Jesus, our precious Savior. Amen. Well, if you would, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So we are taking a couple weeks and going through couple of doctrines in our confession. It's a church we hold to the Baptist faith and message, where we also hold to the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, a historic confession, a wonderful confession, a, a very clarifying confession. And confessions are incredibly helpful because, say, you are scoping out a new church, you can look at their statement of faith or their confession. I always kind of question when there is a church that doesn't have a particular confession that they hold to. It's not to say that they're unbelievers, but I'm like, why wouldn't you have a confession? Now, how do we understand what you believe? But this helps us to understand what a church believes. It helps us to understand what we believe. It provides all these different doctrines of the faith and helps us to understand, well, what is it that we believe about our Christian faith? It also functions as a wonderful discipleship tool, right? When someone comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, it's a way to help them to introduce them to the Christian faith, help them to understand, well, now that you've become a Christian, what are, the, some, what are some of the things that makes a Christian a Christian? And it provides many scriptural references as well to defend those particular doctrines. And so this week we are exploring the topic of creation. Next week, we'll be talking about God's providence before we return to where we left off in the book of Acts. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and only one verse for us this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, in the beginning you saw this day, this day, September the 2nd, or the 3rd, I don't remember what day it is, but you know the day, Father. You established each day you are sovereign over each day from the very beginning that you created the day to this very day. You are sovereign over every day. You are sovereign over our lives. You are sovereign over everything that we have done so far today. God, we want to consider what it means that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. As we consider these things, Lord, 
May you be honored. May you be glorified. May your people worship. May your people sing with all of creation, pointing to the God who is the author of all things as we know it. Help us to consider these things thoughtfully, carefully, and prayerfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Calvin I once said that the whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power of God. The world is a divine theater with man as the actor, God the author of the grand drama, the one who created all things, who created the lines of the script, and God also being the audience. He created it all, the stage, the actors, the music, to each act in the grand drama, even down to the very lines. In the beginning, God created a universal theater. He authored a magnificent play to be dramatized on his grand theater, which encompasses the universe, galaxies, stars, planets, with our tiny little planets as being the focal point of the play that includes the oceans, the skies, the trees, the wind, the animals, even to the tiniest organisms, and most important of all, man. The doctrine of creation is a very important creation because it speaks to the origin of all things. We want to understand these things because the Bible has a lot to say about the origin of all things. So as we go about this, we could go about it in many different directions. I mean, seminaries devote an entire semester to the doctrine of creation, and so I want to make clear that this isn't intended to be some kind of a class on apologetics. How do you defend the doctrine of creation? What are the different holes and the different theories out there concerning creation? It's not what it's intended to be. Really, the main point here in the short time that we have this morning is to consider the doctrine of creation, to, create, to consider why there is something instead of nothing, and what does it mean for us. So if we consider the grand or divine theater, let us first consider eternality and finite beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning there points us to at least two different realities. One reality being that the world had a beginning. The passage says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says nothing about the beginning of God. The word beginning points to creation. It points to time. It points to the world. And it speaks to us in a way that we can understand. It helps us, right, as finite human beings, it's hard for us to comprehend nothing or nothingness or, the, or non-existence. It's hard for us to comprehend living outside of time. We need time. We function by time. Our lives are directed by time. We need time in order to help us to understand the beginning of something, whether it's the beginning of the world or the beginning of our own lives. We need time to help us to understand the middle and the end of a story. 
the word beginning tells us that there is a beginning of all things, and thereby also telling us that there was a time where nothing existed. The word beginning tells us that there is a cause to this beginning, and that is God. God takes Job to task when he points to the beginning of all things, when he says in Job 38 verse 4, speaking to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? God created all things. God created the beginning. And the fact that everything is created by God points to finiteness. Creation means finiteness. The world had a beginning. It's one reality. The second reality is that God has no beginning. As it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It points to a fixed time when God created all things, but it doesn't tell us anything about the beginning of God. It doesn't tell us anything about the beginning of God because God has no beginning. Again, it's one of those things that you cannot, it's quite hard to, to fathom or comprehend. We're talking about an infinite being who has no beginning. In our trying to understand time, we might ask ourselves, when, well, how long was it before God created all things? Right? Is it a thousand years? Is it a billion years? Is it a million years between the eternality of God and when things started happening, or when things were created. We have no idea. The first passage of the Bible tells us that God has no beginning and that everything else does have a beginning. God is in no need of an origin story, for he always was. And this first passage of the verse of the Bible also tells us another particular doctrine, and that is the doctrine of divine aseity. Simply put, that God is independent, that God does not need anything else for his existence, that he does not get his, his sustenance from anything outside of himself, but he gets it all from within himself. This very idea that's communicated in Isaiah 46, 9, where the Lord says, Therefore I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. The passage does not tell us that there is a particular problem that came out, hence the reason why there is something instead of nothing. It's not because God was trying to satisfy something in himself, and so then he created the world in order to satisfy himself or to meet some particular need that he did not meet in himself. Creation was not created in order to bring more perfection to God. Right? If God needed his perfection to be enhanced, that he's not a perfect being to begin with. Because that which is perfect does not need something else to be more perfected. John 1, 2 says, he was in the beginning with God, that is Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As Christians, we understand the divine trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
one God, three persons, but God in himself was fully satisfied in himself, did not need anything outside of himself. And this self-sufficient God goes on to create the heavens and the earth. Something that we need to keep in mind as we, even as we consider Genesis 1-1 from the very beginning of the very first passage of the first book of the Bible, we see that creation is first and foremost a theological concern. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's first and foremost a theological concern. It's not a scientific concern. It's not a cosmological concern. It's not a geological concern. It's not a biological concern. It's not a philosophical concern. It's not a psychological concern. And Genesis 1 to 3 speaks to all of those concerns, but the first and primary concern is a theological concern. The only way that you can understand the story of creation is by, theolo- is by being theologically minded. Apart from that, you cannot make sense of creation. It will take you into other theories that are contrary to the Scriptures. Putting those others' concerns first before the theological concern makes the creation account primarily concerned with those other concerns. If we put those first. But the Bible, from the very beginning, demands that we approach creation from a theological concern. And the demand of Scripture is that we approach the entirety of Scripture from a theological concern. And the demand of Scripture is that Christians consider all of life, first and foremost, from a theological concern before they consider it in any other way. Because from the very beginning, we see that theology was what what created the world. And that theology is what sustains the world. And that theology will see to the end of the world in its renewal. And Christians especially are a theological people. Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's a theological statement. If you believe in that statement, then then you are a theologically born-again Christian. First Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Anyone who does not engage the Scriptures, in our case for today, the creation account from a theological concern and even having the Spirit of God to discern creation cannot understand the story of creation. It's like having a map but not knowing how to read the map. You're going to get lost without knowing how to interpret the map. Here's something interesting. Herbert Spence was an English philosopher and a biologist. He was famous for applying scientific discoveries to philosophy. And he came up with this interesting discovery for which he still heralded. He stated that everything can be known in the natural world, that can be known in the natural world, fits into five categories. Time, force, action, 
space, and matter. What took unbelieving man 19 centuries to discover is found in the first passage of the Bible. Time in the beginning, force, God, action, created, space, heavens, matter, the earth. Everything had a beginning. God has no beginning. Secondly, the divine mind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created there tells us several things. We see that creation was out of nothing. Creation did not create itself. Non-information does not create information. Non-existence does not create existence. Nothing does not create everything. It does not say in the beginning matter created the heavens and the earth. If matter was there from the very beginning, then we would be worshiping matter. But it does not say that. It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Matter is a product of mind. And mind is not a product of matter. Again, nothing does not create everything. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Did you see that? What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It was nothing. And God created everything out of nothing. Created the heavens and the earth. It also tells us that this creation has an originity, originator. It has an architect. It has a divine designer, and that is God. God created the beginning. God created time. God created the heavens and the earth. First Corinthians 8, 6. For us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Genesis 1 dismisses the theory of evolution. We do not read in the Genesis accounts that there was something, and then this thing evolved over time, over billions of years. There's nothing of that in the Scriptures. But the Scriptures tells us that everything was created by the mouth of God, by the Word of God proceeding out of the mouth of God, and not by any other means. And it could not have been a process of evolution, because evolution requires death and decay, and there is no such thing as death until Genesis chapter 3. Former director of NASA's Goddard Institute, Robert Jastrow, in his book entitled God and the Astronomers, he describes sort of the dismay and the frustrations of scientists because they realize by the laws of physics that they can only know so far, that it can only take them so far, that there is sort of this mystery behind creation, but the laws of physics and science and even evolution cannot get them there. In his book, Robert Jastrow says it this way. There's a kind of a religion in science. 
is a religion of a person who believes there is order and harmony in the universe. Every event can be explained in a rational way as the product of some previous event. This religious faith of a scientist is violated by the discovery that the world has a beginning under conditions in which the known laws of physics are not valid and as a product of forces or circumstances that we cannot discover. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith and power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> the fact that creation has a creator, it also means that creation is dependent. Essentially, that's part of one of the definition of, of what it is to have a creation or to have something created or to create something, meaning that it is dependent on something outside of itself for its own existence and also for its provision and for its sustaining. Right? If we create something and leave it to itself, it's going to rot out. It's going to decay because it needs to constantly be maintained and taken care of. According to the IRS, somebody who is a dependent is somebody who is depending on another for financial provision, for food, for housing, for clothing, and essential necessities, and much more. If God were to fill out his taxes, he would claim the entire universe as his dependence. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Matthew 5.45, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Acts 14, 17, that he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The word created speaks to us about the origin of all things, that creation came out or came into existence out of nothing. And creation also speaks to purpose. And this has something to say about everything that is created within the earth. It speaks most specifically about man, man who's made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Again, there is no evolutionary process here. God created man in his image, and he created him from the dust of the ground. And he's made differently than the rest of creation. Everything else, God spoke into existence, but when it comes to the creation of man and the creatures, he formed them from the dust of the ground. 
But to also highlight the special nature of man, he breathed into man the breath of life. Now, it's certainly not my intent to put man into a position that he's not to be put in. That's not my intent to try to make too much of man over making much of God. But the Genesis account tells us that man is God's special creation. We see this in the passage, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and even in Genesis 2, 7. Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word formed there speaks about hands. These careful hands, these gentle hands, telling us, again, the special nature of this creation. The word formed is the very same word in the Hebrew used when Aaron took the gold from the people and fashioned out of it the golden calf for worship. We see in the Genesis account that man was created special and that the purpose of the earth is to serve man. Not for man to serve the earth, and yet, but yet he does work the earth in order to produce fruit out of the ground of the earth. But ultimately, the purpose of the earth is to serve man and not the other way around. The creation speaks, the purpose also speaks to the, the telos or the end of creation. This speaks to the why. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there everything and not non-existence? Why is there earth? Why is there man made in the image of God? When you create something, you create it for a specific purpose. You're intending for that creation to do something, whether it's on your behalf, whether it's on the behalf of others. Right? No one creates something without a particular purpose. Romans 11 answers the question of purpose. Romans 11:36 tells us, For from him and through him and purpose to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Why did God create everything? For, the, for his own purposes. To bring honor and glory to him. It's all for him. It's all for the Lord. It's all for Christ. It's why we're here. Right? And anyone in the world has a problem with that, well, you must ask them, then what's the alternative? Well, how would you rather have it? Would, it? would you rather have it that it be for you? Should you be the one who receives honor and glory? Should man be the one in which glory and honor and worship is centered upon? Right, if that's the case, then I have to ask, and then what's so great and what's so important about you or I that we ought to be worshipped? In fact, it is because man makes too much of himself that we get the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 tells us what happens when the order is reversed Instead of creation making much of their creator, creation is making much of itself. 
columnist wrote to the theologian G.K. Chesterton, asking him, Mr. Chesterton, what is wrong with the world? To which Chesterton simply responds, Dear sir, I am yours, Chesterton. Man is the reason for the problem in the world because he's made too much of himself rather than making much of God. Genesis 131, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In other words, everything that God created from the very beginning was fulfilling its intended purpose. For us today, we tend to compare what is good to something else, but in the very beginning, there was nothing else to compare it to. That means that good was in the absolute sense. God saw it all, and it was good. He made it, he saw it, said, this is very good. Fulfilling the purpose for which I intended it. Not only does it speak to the telos, or the end, for which God created all things, namely for his glory, that gives the purpose to our lives, and the purpose of all creation, but also speaks to function. How does one live out to this purpose? How does creation live out the purpose for which God created it? The how is by reflecting that which is most good, the one who is good, the one who defines good. This is living in a manner that is consistent with his divine nature. Romans 1.20 tells us, for God's invisible attributes and his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We saw earlier in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The creation itself tells us something about the invisible nature and attributes of God. So then to live out the purpose for which God created the earth and everything in it is to send out a message that is consistent with God's divine nature. Elon Musk created the Tesla vehicle. Now, how might something like this enhance his reputation or bring reputation or good reputation to his name and bring honor to him? By the vehicle fulfilling its intended function, by working like it's supposed to. But if it's always breaking down, if it's always rotting out, if the battery doesn't last more than 10 minutes, right, then it's not bringing a good name upon its creator. It's not fulfilling its intended function. And at that point, the creator has every right to discard what he has created and then has a choice about whether or not to start over again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. Even dogs, when they bark, fulfilled their intended purpose because they were made to bark, as annoying as they oftentimes can be, at least in my opinion. I'm thinking about a particular dog. I'm not thinking about anyone's dogs here. I'm just thinking about one particular dog that you guys, some of you already know about. But every time it barks, it's fulfilling its intended purpose. It's what it does. 
But when something does not fulfill its intended purpose, then it has every right to be discarded, hence why you have the flood. When God destroyed everything save some animals and a man and his family. And to this day, God has every right to discard his creation and start all over again if he wanted to. Yes, he made a promise to never destroy the world through a flood. But he can find another means to destroy the world. And the reason why the world and you and I are still here today is because we are riding on the ship of sheer grace. And nothing more. Creation speaks to accountability. If something is created, then it is accountable to that which created it. The natural man, the non-theological man, seeks to escape this reality. This is part of one of the primary reasons why man refuses to believe in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Because he wants to escape reality because he does not want to be held accountable because he knows instinctively and rationally that for something to be created by a divine creator means that their lives are held accountable by someone. Because if there is a creator, then there is one who holds that creation accountable, which then also means that there is no such thing as autonomy. There's no such thing as independence in the absolute sense of those words. Because everything is dependent on a divine creator. That's why the scriptures say that he will render to each one according to his works. The creator has the right to judge every single human being about whether or how well they were able to image God's goodness and divine nature through their lives. The creator has every right to judge every single person on the planet by how well they lived out their purpose, namely to glorify and honor the Lord. Not only does the non-theological and non-believing man seek to escape reality, he seeks to deny reality. He runs away from it and pretends that he does not exist. And when you get the denial of reality, you get the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what you ultimately end up with. You see in Ecclesiastes, a man who experiments. Let us see what it's like to live in the denial of this reality. Let us pretend as if Genesis 1-1 doesn't exist. And the conclusion to his experiment is that you ultimately end up with a godless worldview that can only offer meaninglessness, self-annihilation, self-destruction, despair, hedonism, and deterioration. When you escape reality and you deny reality, man then is only accountable to himself, not to anyone else, but only to himself. What you end up with, with the escape of reality, this running away from reality and pretending that it doesn't exist, society then has become Dorian Gray. Do you guys know who Dorian Gray is? Dorian Gray's fictional character the book, The Story of Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray, is, even though it's fiction, fiction, I believe, always has a sense of reality and truth in them. 
Dorian Gray was a very handsome young man, has his dear friend, right, who also recognizes the handsomeness of Dorian Gray and decides to paint a portrait of Dorian Gray that Dorian loves and he keeps for himself. Now, Dorian is also very hedonistic, gives himself to licentious living, hurting others, and he comes over time to discover that the portrait of himself becomes uglier over time. More wrinkles, more defects, more scars. Begins to age in a grotesque way. He begins to discover that the picture is actually very much connected to himself, to his life. And the more that he gives himself to this sinful living, the uglier his portrait becomes. Until ultimately he just rips it into the portrait and ends up dying along with it because his life is intimately connected to the picture. The natural man running and escaping and denying reality may look fine from an appearance, but sin has a way of wrinkling and defacing and scarring the person. The more and more that he gives himself to it, ultimately concluding with self-destruction. Now, we have a conclusion. We don't want to leave this on such a sour note. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John says there, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and Word was God. Speaking about Jesus Christ. John is providing a kind of commentary on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He is helping the reader to sort of go into the drama opens the curtains a little bit to see what's going on a little bit behind the scenes to reveal to his readers that creation ultimately has everything to do with Christ. It has everything to do with Christ. Rather than God, which he has every right to do, to discard his creation... What we see in the scriptures, what we see in the gospels, is that rather than discard his creation, God sends his son into the world to redeem his creation. God the son comes into the world. And he clothes himself with finiteness. He comes into the world and he clothes himself with, with humanness, with a human flesh, and he becomes like man in every way. And he becomes, and he is, everything that Adam should have been. He succeeds where Adam fails. He becomes, and he is, obedient unto the Lord in every single way, without sin. Even while living in this human flesh. But it wasn't enough to just simply succeed where Adam failed. But the only way that he could restore the image of God in man so that he can rightly and accurately reflect the image of God in himself is by dying for man. The one who was perfect, the one who succeeded where the first man failed when he introduced sin into the world, became sin, clothed himself with sin. He himself was bruised. 
He himself was wrinkled, he was scarred, and he was beaten, and he was bloodied. In order to take the punishment for our sins, the punishment that our sins deserve, so that anyone who believes in Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead becomes someone new. And only then can they rightly reflect God's image in their lives. And this wasn't, and even this change, even what Jesus accomplishes for those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this wasn't sort of this gradual evolution, but it happens in a way that is even consistent with the Genesis account. There's no better way to describe it than the way Jesus says in John chapter 3, Right now, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, unless you are changed, unless you are transformed, unless you are evolved, you cannot see into the, into the kingdom of heaven. No, unless you are born again, that is, unless you first die and then live again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, to which Nicodemus throws his hands like, how is that even possible, Jesus? We all understand it's by believing. Believing in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So heinous, entrenched, and deep-rooted was sin in man that he needed nothing short of a new life. Not a gradual transformation, but an instantaneous new life of believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while the scriptures do say that we are being changed from one glory to another, it speaks of a gradual sanctification. It speaks of God's communicating gradually His holiness into us through our, the Holy Spirit, helping us to be more sanctified each and every day. That is the goal. But this only happens because we've been first changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ instantaneously from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ Jesus. And even when it comes to future glorification, even that is consistent with the way that things come to being in Genesis chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. There's a change that will happen, an instantaneous change, when the last trumpet sounds, and we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, and that is that we will be ultimately glorified. Not gradually, but it says in the twinkling of an eye. Before you can even blink, it's going to happen. Scriptures make clear that man is in one of of two categories. Either he is reflecting the image of the man of dust, the image of Adam, in sin, accountable only to himself, living for himself, or man is in the category of imaging the man of glory the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, 
One will last unto eternity. The other will not. Right? The question is, which one do you belong to? Right? If by faith you belong, you're in the category of the man of glory, then praise God. But if you fall into the other category, there's no, there isn't a third category. There's no in-between. There's one or the other. If you're under the man of dust, then you're headed for destruction. God has every right to discard everything that does not live up to his glory. The promise of the gospel is that if you believe, you will be born again and receive new life in Christ Jesus and then be placed instantly into the category of the man of glory. So as those who put on or have put on the image of the man of glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us continue to put it on display wherever we are. Let us do what we can. Let us live out our purpose, living for the glory of God. Let us image forth wherever we go and whatever we're doing, the glorious image, this redemption that we have received in Christ Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ whether it is bearing through suffering with patience. Let us bear it by reflecting the goodness of God in us, in our homes, in our marriages, in how we raise our children. Let us work to reflect the redemption that we have received in Christ Jesus, this glorious work on the cross. Let us image forth our heavenly Creator, Wherever we go, in the workplace, let us show by our work that we belong to God, that we are created in His image, and that our, His image has been restored in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our work, even when dealing with those who are difficult to work with, let us image forth the glory of God. And in the private sea of our home, where no one is listening, where no one is watching, let us also be faithful in reflecting the glory of God in us and the work of redemption that we've received through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not responsible for making people see. We pray that the Lord gives eyes to see to those who might behold our lives. But we are just simply responsible for reflecting God's glorious image and his work on the cross in our lives. Professor Mark Talbot says that we are bad actors on a broken stage filled with the wreckage of sin and suffering. The doctrine of creation points us to the fact that this was not the original intent. That the original intent was a good and glorious theater with good actors on the stage. The Oscar of creation also points us to Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning with God, who created the beginning with God. The Oscar of creation points us to Jesus Christ, who came into this theater of sin and suffering in order to redeem that grand theater and to redeem some of those actors on that grand theater for the glory of God. So let us live out faithfully our lives as actors in God's divine theater, in God's divine drama, 
Let us look to the Scriptures and study it diligently so that we might see what is our role to play in this grand theater, to understand what our lines are in God's divine theater. And in that way, we will bring glory and honor to our heavenly creator. Let's pray. Father, you created all things for yourself. Father, we are here because you have made us in your image. And we are here in this place doing what you've called us to do in this narrow window of time. Because not only have you made us in your image, but you restored your heavenly image in us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we worship and we glorify and we honor you. Lord, help us, the power of your Spirit, to continue to reflect your glorious image in this world. Help us to be good actors in this divine theater. Help us to bring honor to the one who created the theater the drama, every line. Help us in these things. And even in our glorifying and honoring you, may we also be filled with joy, knowing that we are doing those things that please you. Help us in these ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand in response to today's message. Let us worship with one more song. Let's sing together. All creatures are God and King. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, Alleluia, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam.
We praise you. We praise you, Lord. May the heavens and the earth declare your glory, O oh God. We are at your mercy every day. We depend on your sustenance, Lord, and grace. Which is why we must say, praise be to God for the salvation of man in Christ Jesus. And although we cannot comprehend your eternality, Lord, with our finite minds, we, however, can believe in the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even that is a gift. Father, may we bear your image appropriately. As we heard today, Lord, reflecting your grace, reflecting your love, reflecting, Lord, your glorious work in all creation. May we bring you the honor and the glory that you deserve, Father. As your children, we ask you, Lord, all of this, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Word of God says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church, God bless you. Amen. You are dismissed.